Hey team, you're about to listen to my interview with Michael Epstein, who is the co-founder of Postpilot. Postpilot is a SaaS platform that helps e-commerce merchants leverage direct mail as easily as they manage email today. So in other words, their platform integrates with platforms like Klaviyo and allows you to integrate direct mail in with your marketing automation workflows. They differ from some of their competitors in the marketplace because they own all of the systems, the technology, the platforms, the printing warehouses, etc., to both print and create the direct mail and get it into your customers' hands. This is the E-Commerce Edge podcast with your host, Jason Greenwood. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the podcast. I have another awesome guest lined up for you today, a chat with, and I'm really looking forward to finding out about this amazing technology that he has built for Omnichannel Merchants. It's absolutely my pleasure to welcome Michael Epp. Hey, great to be here, Jason. It's awesome to have you along for the ride today. And before we get into what Postpilot is and what it does, how did you get to be in this tech founder, omni-channel space. As I look back across your background, you do have a background in both tech and e-commerce. So to me, that feels like a natural fit for building out something for omni-channel merchants. Were you scratching an itch or did you just see a gap in the market and say, look, we're going to build something to hit this head on? Yeah. So I've been in e-com and direct to consumer for over 20 years. Started a company, sold that to private equity, then was a private equity operating partner running portfolios of kind of eight and nine figure e-commerce brands for over 10 years. And our secret sauce in a lot of these companies was using direct mail as a channel to help supplement the digital marketing campaigns and channels that we were running in a lot of these companies. But it was this clunky experience, stereotypical experience of exporting a bunch of spreadsheets and finding a print house and then batch and blasting to a bunch of people and then more spreadsheets to try and figure out what the ROI was on that campaign. And my business partner and I just were looking at each other and basically said, somebody needs to build Klaviyo for direct mail. And so we had this thesis around direct mail. We also felt like it was ripe for reinvention. It was ripe for making a comeback as digital marketing channels were just getting more and more expensive and more and more saturated. So we went out and actually acquired the tech that ultimately became Postpilot when it was very small, really new, but had the shared vision for the platform. And we started growing it, started helping it find product market fit, and then it just started really taking off. What an amazing story. You guys have been doing this for a while now. This is, as I said, it's not your first rodeo, first foray into tech and digital. You've been doing this for nearly five years now. And what I have seen, I have witnessed the comeback of direct mail over the last few years for, I think, some of the same reasons that you've pointed out. And I know speaking for myself, direct mail actually, in some respects, gets better cut through for me. And I do most of my shopping online. I do probably in excess of 90% of my shopping online. Basically, if I can shop online for something, I will, unless I absolutely have to buy it in person for whatever reason, for convenience or or time requirements, or if it's food or something like that. But I do a tremendous amount of shopping online. And I find that my, and because I also work in the industry, I guess I've got this natural aversion or this natural sensory blocking to digital marketing. So whether that's social digital marketing ads, whether that is an email marketing campaign that comes out, we'll buy off of email if 
the timing just happens to be perfect and they happen to be advertising something that I was needing or wanting anyway and they happen to say hey we've either got this in special or we've got this new drop or we've got this product and it just happens to fit what I'm needing at the time then absolutely that can drive an immediate conversion that's probably more a factor of good timing than anything else but if I wasn't in the market for something an email is really not going to push me over the edge to convert and it, whereas I feel like direct mail and I can speak from personal experience here I noticed that direct mail and I was part of a, a, I made one purchase off of a website that was selling wine. And then from then on, they started sending me direct mail in the post box. And I noticed that that was actually grabbing my attention. It was almost like a mini catalog of what they had that was new in stock, that was being promoted, that maybe they had a bundle deal of a case or a half case or whatever it might be. And I noticed that I engaged with that more. I found it more interesting to engage with that piece of physical mail in my hand because the visuals and I could feel it and it was just, I don't know, it was more visceral than email could ever be. And so I, I think that, kind of, I guess that aligns with what you were talking about that, hey, look, in order to get cut through, we've got to have a blend of channels. We can't just hammer email. We can't just hammer social. This old school concept of physical mail, everybody thinks it's dead, but now it's actually even cheaper to send direct mail now than it was five or 10 years ago. And why wouldn't we leverage that channel if we could easily do that as digital marketers? Yeah, I think that's all exactly right. You hit on a couple of really key points. One being that email is just a fleeting channel. It's you get it. And if you even open it, it's forgotten about almost instantaneously. Whereas direct mail kind of sits on a table, it sits on your desk, it's staring you in the face. And like you said, it's just this more visceral, more memorable experience because you're not getting bombarded by it. It's a physical piece that's sitting in your hand and you it does stick with you longer, keeps your brand more top of mind. So it does get better engagement than some of these digital channels. That said, it's also more expensive. So you got to balance that. And we're also not suggesting that you replace your email program with direct mail. It should be used as a supplemental channel. If you look at your email open rate, average email open rates for an e-com site are 20, 25%. And that's of people that are still actively subscribed. So, you know, that's 75, 80% plus of your best audience. These people that have engaged with your brand previously that aren't even get, getting the message that you're sending at all. So how do you reach them in new and more memorable ways? And this presents a great opportunity to do that. And I think the data shows globally, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but most of the data I'm seeing, the, the best data is coming out of the UK and the US around this. But what we're seeing is that for the vast majority of brands, 80 to 90% of their customers are one-time purchasers. And it almost doesn't matter what you do to try to reactivate. It doesn't matter whether you try to run a STEM campaign. It doesn't matter whether you try to run a massive discount or a reacquisition or a retargeting campaign. The reality is that in a best case scenario, 30% of your customers are going to purchase from you a second time. And as a result of that, we have to find new and creative ways, more creative ways to try to reactivate customers that would historically have zero brand loyalty, have a very low chance of repurchasing. And so sure, you still have to be targeted and sure, you still have to make sure that you're doing segmentation and sure you're not, you never want to batch and blast, I don't think, across any channel. And you want to be as targeted as you can to make sure that you give yourself the best chance at converting those customers or reconverting those customers. But I think that if we can cut through the noise of those traditional digital marketing channels, we're going to have a much better chance of reactivating even legacy customers.
Yeah, you're absolutely right. I can give you two examples. One, we worked with Four Sigmatic, like the big mushroom coffee brand, and they wanted to do a reactivation campaign going back to almost all of their historical customers for years because they were running one of their biggest promotions of the year. And in that case, we were able to reactivate customers profitably that were over two years old. And these were people that had been on the email list the entire time, not engaged, not converted. And it was just that physical nudge that got them back engaged with the brand and got them purchasing again. And we were able to because our platform tracks all these different cohorts independently based on recency and frequency, we could see exactly which groups of customers were still responsive and at what time and know with confidence that, okay, at this, at two years, we were still able to profitably reactivate those customers. There was another example with Beard Brand, the men's grooming brand, who wanted to target folks that were unengaged or unsubscribed on Clavio and had not purchased in six months. So with men's grooming products, you're typically purchasing at pretty regular intervals, 60 to 90 days. If you go beyond that, you are pretty much lost. They got a 10x return on reactivating those customers that were unengaged and unsubscribed from their email list and had gone at least six months without repurchasing. So that was, again, a huge win for them just by finding the right channel to actually re-engage those customers. And what I'm seeing also is going even beyond the purely purely physical aspect of a piece of mail, I'm seeing that especially now that we've gone through COVID and the whole world seems to be trained now on how to use QR codes, where QR codes, it's faded into the, into the dark reaches of digital history. It feels like everybody and their dog knows how to use a QR code now. We're seeing smart integration of a physical campaign. So the use of QR codes in those mini catalogs or in those drops to where it's easy for people to make the leap from that physical piece of mail into the digital space to automatically execute the transaction. And the great thing about QR codes, and we've had a couple of amazing QR code technology platforms on the pod, and we're going to have another podcast episode coming out soon. But the beautiful thing about that is it can be, you can print a QR code that's specific to every single one of those customers that's going to be re receiving that physical mail. You can personalize that piece of physical mail. And a lot of brands don't understand that, that you can personalize that. So from an attribution perspective, you can get hyper granular, right? You can get hyper granular down to the customer and the category and the segment through the QR code activation with the UTM being embedded in the QR code. So the ability to track physical mail and its performance now is also better than ever. And then I'm also seeing some brands get even more clever than that and included in the physical piece of mail, maybe they'll include, for example, let's say you got a customer that's part of your membership program, your loyalty program, and you're an omni-channel retailer with physical stores, I'm seeing them give these cardboard or even plastic in some instances, membership cards that say, hey, when you come into our store, just hand your card over. They'll scan it at the point of checkout so that you don't have to call out your details. Just let them scan it at the point of checkout and every purchase will automatically qualify as part of your membership, your loyalty program. And so they're blending these channels together, but using the penetration of physical mail to get it done. Yeah, absolutely. And one thing that's really unique about our platform specifically is we're natively integrated with Shopify, Klaviyo, and your e-com tech stack. So there's, like you mentioned, there's great QR technology that's out there. We can put QR codes on the cards that help drive people to the site, but we also 
because of our native integrations with Shopify and Klaviyo and other products like that, we can create dynamic segments, we can create dynamic triggers, and we can track all of the performance of these recipients in real time in a dashboard. We know when somebody's been triggered to receive a postcard, we know when they go on to receive it, we know if they go on to make a subsequent purchase, and we can track all that back and show it to you in a dashboard. So yeah, the sort of integration with your e-com tech stack makes things, one, a lot easier, two, a lot more powerful, performance is better, and three, a lot more trackable, which didn't exist in the past. No question, no question about that. And so because of your integration with Klaviyo, and I, we can talk about CDPs and some of the other technology that's becoming common in the market, but specifically when it comes to Klaviyo, and I'm pretty familiar with Klaviyo and have recommended it lots to clients over the years, and they obviously have a visual workflow editor. So I'm guessing that with your integration with Klaviyo, when you, can, when you create a workflow, you can create a workflow that has maybe three or four emails in it, but not every customer that falls into that workflow initially will will get all the way through that workflow and receive all four of those emails, right? They're, they're forks in the road. So if they take a certain action after the first email, then maybe that drops them out of the flow, for example, because you don't want to smash them with emails. Whereas if they don't take a certain action, then maybe they, two weeks later, receive another email in the flow. But I'm guessing that due to your integration with Klaviyo, instead of having one of those emails be an email node, maybe we now have a post pilot node that, hey, if they don't take an action after an email, they receive another email. If they don't take, if they they don't take an action, then, hey, we can now have a post-pilot full mail, direct mail node instead of that third email node, and then that becomes the terminus of that particular workflow. Is it that easy to drop you guys into Klaviyo workflows? Yeah, so that's coming in the next month or so, where you can actually drop post-pilot into the Klaviyo workflow in the Klaviyo app. We can also currently sync with Klaviyo segments. So when you create the segment in Klaviyo, we automatically sync with that segment in Postpilot and can trigger campaigns based on the segments that you've already created. In okay. And I know that obviously in Klaviyo, the dynamic segments can be modified by the behavior of customers that are in a given flow. That flow can actually create the process of dropping them in and out of segments dynamically. So obviously if someone falls into that granular segment where you want to send a direct mail, then that is the segment that would be connected to Postpilot. And therefore the segmentation is done by Klaviyo. The sending is done by Postpilot. Yeah, exactly. And that, that, I guess the beauty of this is that digital marketers, especially those that are deep specialists in Klaviyo, they don't necessarily have historical exposure or experience with direct mail. And if you talk to marketers a decade ago, which I was doing, direct mail was at least a decade or more ago, direct mail was for most brands a significant component of their marketing mix and of their marketing channel mix. And it seems to obviously have died away as digital channels and the cheapness of digital channels and the ease of digital channels came to the fore. But I think some of those latent skills have been missed. And the benefit, one of the, or one of the benefits I see of Postpilot, and correct me if I'm wrong here, is the fact that this, is, this becomes for modern digital marketers that, that are used to only working across digital marketing channels, this turns direct mail into more of a digital-like channel because they would manage it in almost the identical way that as they would manage a workflow in Klaviyo. Yeah, that's exactly right. And that was what we set out to build, was something that feels really familiar and comfortable to a digital marketer. Because that's 
really our DNA. Like that's where we come from. And we knew what that, how that platform and user experience should function so that it felt more like managing a digital platform. And then we also provide complementary account management and complementary design and like full concierge service for our e-commerce brands. So most of our brands haven't tried direct mail before. They're not sure what best practices look like. They're, they don't necessarily have the time or the resources to figure it all out and create design for their postcard. So we just do it all for them and make sure that they're set up for success. But again, it should feel really familiar. We modeled it after Klaviyo. That's the DNA of the company. Wow. And in terms of the actual creative itself, do you provide the tooling inside your platform to set up the creative or maybe import a template from Canva or a design? Or is all the tooling inside your platform to, to manage and run and administer an end-to-end -end campaign? Or do they have to import things in? How does the actual management of a campaign inside your platform work? Yeah. So you can easily design using a drag and drop editor in the platform. You can import from other platforms like Canva. Or if you just did a design in Photoshop or something, you can import that. And then most of our brands, I would say, actually use our complimentary design service. We have a team of incredible designers that can really get your brand and create something that's unique and bespoke to you and also follows our best design practices. So a lot of our brands take us up on that offer. And what percentage, just give me a number off the top of your head if you know it, <clears throat> what percentage of the merchants that you work with would be specifically targeting direct mail to drive a digital conversion versus, say, driving a customer in stores? If they're an omni-channel merchant and they've got a store estate, are they primarily using this as an extension of digital channels or are they using this to also drive in-store experiences and pushing people to those in-store experiences? Yeah, that's a great question. So we're seeing a ton more of that happening now. Primarily, it was brands that were D2C and, and driving customers directly back to their own website to make a purchase. But I think one, just as we work with more and more brands, and especially a lot of our larger brands, and second, more recently, as a lot of D2C chat, like digitally native brands are starting to push into retail as an additional point of distribution. We're seeing more and more of our brands use us for driving people into retail. And we can do that in a number of ways. We can take your existing customers and prospects and geo-target them and focus them around to let them know that they can buy their product now in a retail store that's close to them. Or we can do things like build lookalike audiences off your best customers and then geo-target those audiences again around proximity to retail locations where, where your brand is present and drive people that look very much like your best customer similar to a facebook lookalike audience let them know that they can pick up your product in a local retail store close to them and th there's naturally two questions that drop out of that for me then you know how mail houses will oftentimes have access to opt-in postal mail databases or through the local post offices or other marketing database providers where your customers have opted in, are there ways in which brands can leverage your technology to access those types of lookalike audiences, meaning the customer hasn't necessarily engaged with them before, they're not actually a customer of that brand, they haven't necessarily given permission for contact, they, but they have through other opt-in databases they have opened themselves up to receive postal mail. 
And is that a scenario whereby a brand can use this as a, an acquisition channel in addition to a, a, an engagement and re-engagement channel? Yes, absolutely. So we can we have access to all of that data, the all the top tier sort of databases of consumer data covering hundreds of millions of people in the US. And we have thousands of attributes on these people. It's not the superficial demographic information. It's a male 35 to 44 household income of 100K and lives here. It's like all that plus has a dog, has a Netflix subscription, has visited Target three times in the last month, has a predisposition towards luxury men's grooming brands, tons, it drives this kind of car. It's We can take that, your best customer data, model that against these databases, including these thousands of different attributes, and really build these richer profiles around who that best customer is, who else looks like that best customer, and then we can target those folks as cold prospects and build lookalike, doing it through lookalike modeling, similar to how Facebook does lookalike, lookalikes in, in their platform. But better in many respects now, especially with the impending death of third-party cookies, the iOS changes and everything else, online privacy, the insane tightness of the GDPR, and so many other things happening in the privacy space. Now, whether or not you agree with it or not, the reality is that the walled gardens are building their walls ever higher every day. And the reality is the type of te technology that allows these contact databases to be enriched with data like credit card spend and that way what they're spending on their credit card in those physical spaces and physical stores and all that other data that you were talking about, you know, Meta used to have access or in fact still does have access to a lot of this data, but they are in the name of privacy, they're no longer making it available for targeting. So a lot of this demographic data, spend data, location data, but the targeting in Meta, everybody knows is not as good as it was even two years ago, three years ago, four years ago, and it's going to continue to get worse in that regard. So from what you've described to me, it sounds like direct mail in many respects is actually able now to be targeted more granularly than some of the online targeting you used to be able to be done. That's correct. And there's also a couple other unique or interesting aspects to it. One, we can provide you with kind of a report of that data. If you remember, I'm trying to remember the name of it now, Audience Insights, I think it was called in Facebook, where you could go in and you could see all these attributes about your your customer base that you uploaded to Facebook, and then they took that away. But it was super cool to be able to see all that. My customer tends to be in these areas. They are more Democrat leaning. They they have this type of, again, this type of household income, all these different attributes that were interesting that you probably didn't even fully know about your customer. We can actually still access that data and provide you with a lot of those insights, which is really interesting and useful. And then again, use those insights for targeting and with the, you mentioned the demise of cookies, and we all know what happened with the iOS update impacting attribution through these digital channels. With direct mail, we can say with a lot of confidence, we know that this is a cold prospect. This is somebody that has never purchased from you before or engaged with your brand. They're not on any of your lists. They received a postcard or a piece of direct mail. And then we can match back in real time to know if that person goes on to make a purchase after receiving that piece of direct mail. So there's very clean attribution in that respect as well. 
I guess also if brands, even if they're an e-commerce brand, if they want to do a surprise and delight that isn't necessarily conversion focused, but it's brand focused instead, as as brands start to build out their name and their pr- digital presence, and perhaps even a physical presence through their retail store state, the reality is that even email marketers realize today that you have to absolutely seamlessly blend content and commerce. And so if you're smashing with every single email campaign, if it's buy, buy, sale, sales, discount, coupon code, it starts to wear thin very fast and it starts to get blocked out by the psychology of the buyer. And so I think that brands are getting smarter about that. They're blending content and commerce better on the website, even to, even down to the personalization journey is starting to include content and not just commerce. So how to use a product, the tech specs of a product, uh, how to engage and how the even the unboxing experience and then follow-up emails about how to get the best out of a product or if it's a cooking utensil, then here's some recipes that you can use. And so I think brands are getting smarter about the blending of content and commerce but they aren't necessarily doing that as well in the physical space. And I think some of the targeting data that you're talking about, so let's say you're looking at a specific region and you know that 80% of the potential buyers or the potential recipients of physical mail in that region are Ford owners, for example, then you might decide to do a collaboration with the local Ford dealership in that region and you might decide to collaborate with them on something that you know is going to resonate with your audience. You might have a I don't know, you might have some sort of a collaboration where people can come into the showroom, they can engage with your brand, they can engage with Ford, they can maybe have a drive day, maybe automatically puts them into the draw for, I don't know, a track day with the latest vehicle or whatever it might be. Think what the targeting is for physical mail allows you to do. It is a, It allows you to blend experiential event type stuff around your brand that isn't a hard direct sale message. And to me, that feels like one of the other massive tar- benefits of granular targeting. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And I'll, so one, you can create unlimited versions of creative. We don't have any minimum quantity because everything is digitally produced on demand. So there's literally the minimum is one card. And what that allows you to do is create the, these, these different unique segments based whether it's a warm audience or a cold audience and what you know about them and create very personalized creative based on, again, all these attributes that you know about them. We can even send personalized, we call them catalogs. It's a new product that we offer, which is like this oversized six mini catalog. And you could send, you could create a custom catalog that goes out to people based on what they've bought before. And again, there's no minimum. So you could say, I, I want to send this to everyone that's bought pants from us and it features more pants in the assortment. I want to send a different version to people that have bought more shirts. And I want to send this to people that live in coastal areas versus these that are more metropolitan areas. So that's one thing that's what you're describing. And the other thing that you touched on that's really important is creating that relationship with your customers, especially your best customers through this physical touch point. And one unique way that we do that is we have handwritten technology actually uses robotic technology that literally holds a pen to paper and writes with all the nuance of a human hand with just variations in every letter and everything like that. So it it looks great and it's real pen to paper in a handwritten envelope with a real postage stamp. And you can trigger that the same way you would trigger our postcard campaigns. You could say, as soon as customer makes their fourth purchase from us, or as soon as customer has spent a total of $1,000 with us, send them a handwritten thank you note from the CEO, from the 
head of marketing or a founder or something like that. It's just, hey, just wanted to say thanks so much for being such a loyal customer. Uh, we, we appreciate you. We, we acknowledge you. And that's not an ROI-driven campaign, but there's a lot of 80-20 going on in your business where 20% of your best customers drive 80% of the revenue. If you can engage those best customers and stay top of mind and keep them more loyal, keep them buying more, and there are studies that show handwritten notes do this really well, that's worth a ton to you. So for two bucks, you could send them an automated handwritten note from, from someone on your team, and that creates you know, a really special experience for that customer. And for you guys, you target the United States, and we can talk about geographic reach a bit later, but... For you guys, that necessarily means that you've got to have relationships with multiple advanced mail houses right across the whole of the country. You've got to have accounts with them. You've got to have API-level integration with them. You also have to have API-level integration with those other third-party technologies and e-commerce platforms. So that there's a lot of build-out and investment in the platform to make all of these capabilities not only advanced in all of the ways and types of mail that you can send and the signatures and the handwritten notes, as you say, but also you've got to maintain that and you've got to extend that and you've got to, you've got to build out and maintain a full-blown end-to-end SaaS platform. And that necessarily means that you've got accounts with these mail houses. And does that also benefit your customer in that they don't, the merchants, I mean, they don't necessarily have to have relationships and bring along their own rate card into your system with all these mail houses by extension of being integrated with you and taking up your service, basically all of the costs associated with the mail house actually creating and delivering that piece of mail, that is just rolled up into the fees that you charge your customer through your platform. So that's correct in that you don't have to think about any of that stuff. Everything's baked into the cost, 49 cents for the postcard, $1.99 for the handwritten card. There's no additional cost. You don't have to bring anything to us. But here's the really unique thing about our platform specifically we run our own commercial printing operation. We have a giant printing operation that we run, we own. In It's based in South Carolina. We're opening up another one on the West Coast very shortly. And so we don't use these third-party print houses that you know, vary. There, there are certain printers around the country that, again, tie into these APIs that use a variety of print houses and printers around the country and the problem that you get by using them is, and we've seen it firsthand a lot, is that the quality is super inconsistent and not very good. Everything from the paper quality to the printing quality is just not how brands want to represent themselves. It's just not good. You also get the turnaround time is going to be slower because you're pushing this out to a bunch of third-party sort of random printers around the country who fit it in with a bunch of other jobs for a bunch of other things. And from a cost perspective, this also allows us to provide the pricing that we do, which is extremely competitive, especially when you even compare it to the cost of a click on digital now. So running our own print operation is a huge advantage. And again, brands don't need to come to us with anything. If brands have run catalogs in the past, most many of our brands haven't, but for those that have, like they they show us how they ran it in the past and they're like, okay, we had to buy paper from this company and then we had to ship the paper to a print house over here. And then we had to run all these, we had to hire all these different service providers to help us acquire a list. And then we had to do all this manual, use a bunch of spreadsheets to consolidate these lists and do tracking and all that other stuff. Like you don't have to think about any of that stuff. We, can't, we handle everything. We also handle all the production ourselves. So you just pay 49 cents per card. That's it. Cards go out same day 
at worst next business day. Wow, absolutely amazing. Now, as you alluded to, and this is a great segue into the pricing conversation. So you are a typical SaaS platform in the sense that you charge a fixed fee for the SaaS platform itself and access to the platform. You've got two, you've got two plans. You've got the growth plan, you've got the pro plan, $199 a month and $499. And you get different, basically you get different inclusions as part of that base fee. And then as you say, really on top of the base fee, you've got really clear and fixed prices for each different type of mail. For example, on the on the $4.99 a month plan, 49 cents, four by six first class postcard. You're very clear and transparent about your pricing per piece. And I like that. It's very understandable for brands to understand what it's going to cost them to engage with you. And I like the fact that basically you go from this $199 plan, which is more of a self-service plan. It's a full platform access strategic support, professional design support, but then you also have under your 499 plan, it's more like a white glove service, right? It's fully managed service, dedicated account manager, et cetera, gets to know your business. So is, was that always the idea or did you play with multiple different pricing models before you landed on what you do now, which is this blend of fixed fee for the access to the platform and then a per piece fee for creating and delivering the physical direct mail? Yeah, we just know that it's, <clears throat> we understand our customer really well and we understand that they don't necessarily have the time or appetite to learn a new channel and build everything out themselves. So we were, we found that it helps everybody if we just do it all for them. And so that's where we introduced our plans, which not only give you the fully managed service, uh, but it also gets you to a much lower price per card. So again, like you pay 49 cents for a four by six card on our pro plan, as opposed to regardless of how many you send, you could send one or you could send a million. And so it's really cost effective for brands to do it that way too, versus paying just a higher, a much higher price per card, like you would if you went to just a general print. Makes complete sense. Now for you guys, what, just two questions I have around your forward-looking business plan. And that is, you target the United States today. Do you have any intention of branching out into, I don't know, Canada, Mexico, where I'm based? Do you want to do you want to get into Europe? Do you want to extend your mail service capabilities into these other countries? I realize there's a whole lot of new complexity when you start getting outside of the homogeneous mails experience inside the United States with standardized postcodes and the whole nine yards. But A, do you plan to move out of the United States geography anytime soon? And then two, what type of functionality do you guys want to add to the platform or your customers are asking for over the, say, next 12, 18 months? Yeah, we will be expanding internationally over the next few months. So that includes Canada, UK, Australia. And so you'll be able to take advantage of local transit times and local postage rates when we do that, which will be a big advantage to brands based in those locations. And some of the features that we've rolled out most recently, one of one of the biggest releases that we've had is that catalogs, which I mentioned earlier. It's basically the ability to create mini catalog for your brand. But unlike traditional catalog, the way people ran built catalogs before are one, you need a team of people to do it because it's like producing a magazine. You need typically full-time employees that are working on copy and creative and planning the 16 or 32 page book throughout the year. Uh, and getting that ready to go. You need months of lead time. So typically you need to lock down that creative and send it to your printer four months, three to four months in advance so that they can slot it into their schedule and prepare the presses. And then you need 
high minimum quantities of like 50 to 100K pieces because that's the minimum that they'll run. And so that just made it out of reach for most brands, e-commerce brands in particular, that want to test into this channel. So our catalogs can allow you to test into a, ca a catalog type product with no minimum, no lead time. We could have the whole thing. We'll do it for you. So our team will design the whole thing for you. You don't have to lift a finger. We can basically turn this thing around from start to finish in a few days with no minimum quantity. So that's a really cool innovation that a lot of our brands are taking advantage of because they want to use it both to reactivate older customers who, where they want to present a much larger assortment of their product than they can on a postcard. And for cold prospecting, it's also valuable because you want to be able to educate prospects on your brand, tell your brand story and provide a wider assortment of product for them to choose from in order to get them to convert. So it's just been a really effective product for that. And we're continuing to innovate on the platform on a daily basis. Again, we'll be rolling out international. That's a big, that'll be a big feature release. We're doing a lot more with the with cold acquisition and the ability for brands to to build these audiences in the platform. And there's a whole long list of projects that we're working on that are going to be released over the next uh, couple quarters. Wow, sounds very exciting. International expansion and new functionality. It's the one-two punch. Love it. And how would you prefer, if people want to find out more about Postpilot, your domain is postpilot.com, spelled exactly like it sounds, P-O-S-T-P-I-L-O-T.com. Is that the best place to create a free account? They can, go to the, they can go to the website, they can create a free account. Would you like people to get a hold of you directly via LinkedIn? What's the best way for people to find out more? Yeah, the easiest way is go to postpilot.com. You can email me directly if you have questions, michael at postpilot.com. You can find me on LinkedIn and Twitter, Michael Epstein. And yeah, happy to discuss this, happy to put anyone in touch with our team to discuss their goals and strategies for doing this. And we'll be honest with you, like we're very up and we understand what works. We understand what types of brands are a good fit for direct mail, what types of offers. We're going to be really upfront because the last thing we want is to send a campaign that we're not confident it's going to perform really well and that you're going to be unhappy and then you're not going to want to send any more. And, and we don't want unhappy customers and we don't want to we don't want to launch anything that we're not confident in. So, yeah, reach out if you're thinking about it. We'll let you know if we think it's a good fit for your and happy to answer any questions. Absolutely love it. Thank you very much for sharing all of your experience and knowledge with me and the audience today. We're coming to the end of our time together, and we're at the point where I get to flip the script. I get to hand the microphone over to you and let you ask me one question. Any question you like can be professional, can be personal, doesn't matter. So I'd love to turn the microphone over to you. Michael Epstein from Postpilot, what's your question for me today? Ooh, putting me on the spot. Let me think. So I'll ask you, what is your, what's your biggest fear for e-commerce brands in 2023? What uh, 2020, 2023. Yeah, look, I think that's a, that's an excellent question. I think that there are a lot of headwinds facing merchants. And I think my biggest fear is a complete retrenchment uh, of investment in digital channels. And I would include you in a digital channel because the way that brands engage with your technology is, is, basically as a digital channel. And we saw this, I saw examples of this right at the beginning of COVID when I was still working agency side at that point, and we pretty much every single project we had got put on hold at the beginning of COVID because merchants had no idea what COVID was going to do to their business and they were terrified that the entire market was going to fall over. And they put every project on hold, even very large long-term projects they put on hold and they said, look, 
we just got too much uncertainty. We don't know what we're going to do. We don't know how this is going to impact the bottom line. And we're just going to put everything on hold. And they did that across marketing and tech and consulting and just everything got frozen in time for that first one to two months of COVID. And then when they realized, oh my God, this is going to drive so much online demand, it's ridiculous. And then they wanted to not only put their project back in play, but also accelerate them because they knew that they were starting from behind the eight ball from digital experience and digital capability and digital scalability. And I'm concerned that the worry about the economy is going to cause a similar retrenchment now. And I, I think that as someone who's been working in this industry for over 20 years, 23 years now, and has seen multiple recessions, and some short and sharp and some pretty deep and long, and I've seen them in multiple countries around the world now and experienced them in multiple countries around the world now, my biggest fear is that brands will just stop innovating, they will stop learning, they will stop investing, and that they will end up on the backside of this whenever the, the economy starts to, when, when, when inflation is finally under control and the economy starts growing again organically, I think that a lot of brands will be caught out if they completely stop investing now. And I understand the need for prudence, but I think that brands can be overcautious. And I would say that the, there's no time that is better or worse in terms of at least starting a business, starting a business, if you can make a business work during a downturn, then when you come out the other side, you are going to be so far of everyone else in terms of being lean, a lean, mean fighting machine. It's a great time to start a business. And secondarily, if you've already got a business, this is the time when you actually consolidate and capture market share. If you make the smart investments that you need to make and things like AI and chat GPT being integrated into some of the other technologies in the market, that are part of the commerce stack, those investments in those vendors that are going to help you leverage smart technology like AI, when you make those investments, because remember, these type of projects, when you're starting to integrate, especially larger pieces of technology into, into your omni-channel stack, these are not the kind of projects that you can do in a month. They're just not. And so most of the time, they require system integration with more than one system, ERP, CRM, CDP, PIM, whatever it might be. And those are three, six, nine, 12-month projects. So even if you start one of those projects today, you're not going to get live in a month. And so my, my, my biggest concern is, and I've seen this happen time and time again when there's uncertainty in the market, is that branch just stop investing and they stop innovating. And I think that's a real risk. That's a great answer. I, would, I definitely agree with you. I think in these kinds of environments, it's an opportunity for brands to take market share when everyone else is being cautious. And like you said, it's a great time to start a business. I've started businesses in, in the recession periods too. And we operate, we come from private equity, not venture capital. So we have that mindset of building healthy, profitable businesses out of the gate. And I think that can serve businesses really right now. I think agree with exactly what you described. Awesome, mate. Listen, I, again, I really appreciate your time with me. I'd love to get you back on the pod another 18, 18 months, 12, 18 months and see what you've done with Postpilot in the meantime, see how the rollout internationally has gone. And all the new functionality that you've rolled out. So thanks again for spending time with me and we'll chat again soon. Are you a B2B or D2C e-commerce merchant? Then head over to greenwoodconsulting.net to learn how we can help you scale your business.